in, uh, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to move forward to the rest of the, uh, the chapter. Last week we talked about uh, the day of Pentecost and how um, God, God through the Holy Spirit, through His Holy Spirit, continued to do the work of Christ. Um, we, we see that, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that amazing, kind of crazy things started happening, that the apostles were able to speak in all the different languages of, of all the different people that were there for the festival. And, and uh, it, it was a very opportune event, if you think about it, that just a few verses before, Jesus had told His disciples that you will be My witnesses starting here at home in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the, to the utter ends of the earth. And the neatest thing is, is that the uttermost parts of the earth were there in Jerusalem whenever the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles and they started to speak in all the different languages and they started to proclaim the mighty works of God. And then we saw how some of the people... They, they kind of snickered and, and, and made fun of them and said, oh, these guys, they're just drunk with new wine. And we talked about a lot last week about how we should be filled with that new wine. That, that, new, that newness of the Holy Spirit that brings out of us miraculous things. Um, a mighty works of God are proclaimed in languages and in context and in scenarios where people understand it the best. And we talked about how Jesus spoke back in the Gospels about how you can't fill an old wineskin with new wine. It doesn't work. And for us to be able to contain what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us as, as, as His people, we have to become new. We have to be made new. And so Peter, knowing this... That, that, that in order for people to understand what it was that God was doing in their midst and was going to continue to do through His establishment of the church, that they had to know what they had to do in order to be new so that they could in turn be filled with this new wine, the Holy Spirit. And so His message was simple. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is God. And He makes those claims by going through some Old Testament passages to prove His point. And then we talked about last week how the people who were hearing could have been up to 100,000, 200,000 people, but the people who were there, who, who were, were brought underneath the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they asked this question, What must we do? What must we do? And they said that in response to them saying this. Or, or the, the, the Bible reporting that they fell under great conviction. And we talked about other translations say that their hearts were pierced. And then I asked a nurse last week, what would happen if my heart was pierced? All my blood would fall out. The, the substance that keeps me going, the very thing that I depend on for life would flow out of me and I would be dead. And so if my heart was to ever be pierced in a physical sense, that would cause me a great deal of distress and worry and panic. 
And so the word picture there in that they, they came under great conviction or their hearts were pierced is that they became frantic about, about their inner being, about their eternity, about their, the way they were living right here because they knew that what they thought was going to keep them alive the law being good, doing good deeds, obeying all of these different laws and, and, and rites and rituals, they thought that that was what was going to keep them alive. But then that was taken out from under them with the preaching of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He was the one that God had appointed to come and to be their King, their Savior, and their God, and that they had rejected Him. And although it was in God's plan, they turned Him over to sinful men and nailed Him to a cross. And that it was this Jesus who rose three days later and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And then they said, oh, what must we do? And He says this, the very first preacher, at the very first sermon, in the very first church, at the very first invitation, His very first word is repent. Repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then we read in verse 41, So those who accepted, get that, not everyone, only those who accepted His message were baptized. Get that. He said, repent and be baptized. So they accepted his message of repent. And then they were baptized. And about 3,000 people were added to them. I want to talk tonight, um, and we're going to go through some slides. I know I normally don't have slides. We're trying out something new. Uh, it may work. It may not. But I have my notes right here. So if I start saying something that's not up there, try to zone that out and we'll, we'll work on that later. But I want to read you the rest of this passage. But what tonight I want to talk to you about is the, what makes a good church. Because guys, we have a whole bunch of churches. Um, some of you have been to a whole bunch of churches. I've been in a whole bunch of churches. And, and quite honestly, not every church is a good church. Just because they have Baptist or Christian or Methodist or Presbyterian or some other mainline, mainstream denomination uh, or in plaster Jesus on their doors uh, as you walk in does not mean that they are a good church. And so as you guys are growing up, some of you are in college or some of you are in the, the, uh, in, in the workforce or some of you are maybe going to be moving away in the years ahead uh, when you get married or when you go to college or when you have job opportunities. You need to know what makes a good church. So that you don't get sucked into a bad one. So this is what God's word says. Verse 41 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. He says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, although all the believers were together and held all things in common, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. 
So God's word in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit had fallen on His, His apostles, and the gospel begins to be preached publicly and proclaimed to all who would listen, immediately 3,000 are added to their number. And then we see, we see that, that, that almost instantaneously, in the Scripture at least, it's represented as almost instantly, those 3,000 along with the 120 followers of Christ that were there at the day of Pentecost, they became a body of believers known as the church. This is the inauguration of the church. This is, this is the pattern that Scripture gives us for what a church is supposed to look like. So in these few verses, and you guys are going to... This is not good Baptist preaching. But in these few verses, there are 12 things. That means it's going to be four times as good as a normal Baptist sermon. Because there's 12 points in these verses. So I'm going to run through them quite quickly. So follow me here. So those who accepted His message were baptized. Guys, listen. A good church is made of people who are repenting and have been baptized in the name of Jesus. A good church is full of people who are repenting. Remember last week I talked about how sometimes we fall into this trap of a negative Christianity? Not meaning good or bad, but meaning, meaning what, we, what we do with Christianity. A lot of us, we consider Christianity as something that we have to, we have to stop doing a lot of things. We have to give up a lot of things. And that's certainly part of it. But I don't think we have to start there. Because, because that to me seems backwards. We, we tell people you can come to Christ just as you are. You don't have to change anything in your life. You just come to Jesus. And He'll accept you just as you are. But what happens sometimes is immediately we start judging people and say, well, why are you still drinking? Why are you still smoking? Why are you still cussing? Why are you, why are you still doing these things? It's because while we are being made new, while we are a new creation, there is a process to our salvation. And as long as we get people focused on the things that they have to stop doing to be one of us, they're going to be discouraged. I mean, what if I gave you a list of rules that if you're going to be a member of the Meridian Baptist Church student ministry, these are the things you absolutely can never do. That, that would be hard because probably on that list are a bunch of things that I can't even live up to all the time. We can't gossip. We can't cuss. We can't, we can't, um, we can't make out with our boyfriends and our girlfriends. We can't drink. We can't smoke. We can't watch R-rated movies. We can't listen to worldly music. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. How much, how much of that would just be discouraging and you would throw your hands up in the air and say, I just can't keep up with it? Do you see how we've made Christianity into the, the new law? We think of all the things that we must not do in order to be holy. And that's a negative Christianity. That's taking things away from us. That's abstaining. And like I said, guys, we have to do that in repentance. But repentance doesn't end at the stuff that we must not do. Repentance is the stuff that we must do. And I talked last week about a positive Christianity is adding things to your life. 
And when you're adding the right things to your life, when you're not so worried about trying to stay away from all the bad stuff in the world, but that you're walking through the world, walking in the good stuff, walking in righteousness, walking in God's Word, walking in fellowship and relationship with other people, walking in membership and ministry in a church, when you're walking in Christ, all the other stuff seems to fall away. It's amazing how that happens. That when you're focused on Christ, when... I heard a preacher, I can't remember who it was, but he said, when, when your heart's desire is Christ, you can do whatever it is you desire. In other words, when the most important thing in your life, when, when, when all you want is Jesus, then you'll have all that you want. But as long as we're looking at our life in and I'm a huge failure if I mess up today. Or I'm a huge failure if my eyes slip on that girl too long. Or I'm a huge failure if I get caught gossiping about my friends. And, and how in the world could God ever love me? We, we find out that, that that's a discouraging Christianity. So guys, I would like to challenge you and encourage you tonight to repent in a positive way. Repentance is turning away from your sins. But you have to turn to something. And I would ask you to understand tonight that repentance is turning away from sin, but to Jesus, into His Word, into His church, into relationship with His people. Surround yourself with the things that Christ offers you, and repentance will take care of itself. So guys, a good church is full of people who are doing that. And then a good church is full of people who have been baptized in the name of Jesus. Sometimes, um, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. Whenever I first got here, before I really started studying this, and thank God that I'm on a process of, of figuring out my salvation and, and my, my understanding of Scripture as well. But I, I always kind of wondered why it is that Brother Ronnie always... Just he harps on it. He's, he is sweating those believers' baptisms. Every Sunday, every, every invitation, it's, it's if you haven't had believers' baptism, then you need to have believers' baptism. And the reason is, and I see this now, is that the true believers, those who were added to them, weren't people who just simply professed faith with their mouth, but they were people who obeyed Christ down to the very detail of being baptized. Because that is the mark, the beginning mark. That is, the, that is the, the, the biblical way we express our newfound faith and relationship in Jesus Christ is identifying with Him in obedience. And so a good church is one that demands its people to repent, that encourages its people to repent, and, and requires that if you're going to be a part, not a part of our crowd, but a part of our fellowship, then you must be baptized. Second, you see that in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A good church is a studying and teaching church. Guys, beware of a church that when you leave, you're more impressed by the lights and the smoke and the music and, 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 and all the other glitz and glamour, the PowerPoint, you're more, you're more impressed by everything but the Word of God being preached. 
Find a church to where the Word of God is studied and preached and taught every time you meet together. Every time you meet together as a church. That's one of the things I really appreciate about this church is, is I get to study God's Word. I get to preach God's Word. And we don't spend our hour on Wednesday night together playing silly games and wasting our opportunity to learn God's Word. That may work for, for, for other guys. I'm not criticizing them, but I'm thankful that our pattern has been worship and studying God's Word. And I will never change from that. Guys, we'll play at 5.30. We'll play at 7.30. But from 6.30 to 7.30, guys, we are here to study God's Word. So guys, whenever you are, are growing up, and if some of you find yourselves in different cities or in different churches, look for a church that the priority is studying God's Word. Thirdly, we see that they devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, the way I worded this one is that a good church has people who want to be together. Guys, beware of a church where people don't like coming. And they don't like fellowships. And they don't like, they don't like homecomings. And they don't like, they don't like um, mission trips together. They don't like being together. They don't... Beware of that. Pay attention to the amount of time it's taken on Sunday mornings for people to go around and shake hands. Like that's really, that's really one of the things that struck out to me first about this church is every other church I've been in, you've got a tops of about 14 seconds to shake as many hands as possible and then it's time to get back to business. You can't pull that off here. I'm pretty sure, and I've never clocked it, maybe we should start clocking it, but I'm pretty sure that whenever we stand up and greet each other in the name of Jesus, sometimes we're doing that for about three or four minutes and that is good. That is the mark of a good church. I've had many people that have been our visitors that Leslie and I have invited, and they have come to me and they said, this is the most welcoming and inviting church we've ever been in. And I believe that element of our worship is part of it because we really like being around each other. We like seeing each other. Find a church that likes being around each other. Next, we see there in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to prayer. As a good church is a church that prays for one another. A good ministry, a good student ministry, is a ministry to where you can come to me and I can come to you at any point and say, I need you to pray with me. A good ministry is when you can take it for granted that I'm praying for you. You can just understand that today. That if you don't know if anybody's ever praying for you, you can know that I am praying for you. And I hope that you will pray for me. Because I, I am a easily discouraged, quite often very prideful, boastful, selfish individual. And I need your prayers to encourage me and to keep me seeking wisdom and truth as I lead you in this ministry. So a good church is a church of people who are praying for one another. And then I really like this one. We might spend some time on this one. Verse 43. Then fear came over everyone. A good church? A good church is a church who fears God. 
Not in the sense of Halloween, it's spooky, we don't understand Him, and so we're afraid of Him, and we want to stay as far away from Him as possible. No, that's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear that I'm talking about is we understand how powerful and uncompromising God is, and we are so incredibly in awe of His majesty and His might that we dare not step outside of His will. Because our safety and our strength and our comfort and our assurance is found in pleasing our Father. In serving our God. And we are afraid of what our lives would look like if we stepped out of God's will. Because we know we've got it so good. Find a church to where there is respect for God. Find a church to where there are not slang terms used to describe God. He is holy. He is Father. He is Savior. He is Lord. He is Master. He is God. He is not my buddy. And He is not my homeboy. He's my friend. But not in the same way that those two terms describe Him. We must fear God and respect God more than the world does. And we cannot stoop to their level of minimizing God to make Him more like us. A good church is one who fears God. And then look at this. Because of that fear, because of their absolute uncompromising position that we are going to serve God, we are not going to let, let fear of anything else influence our decisions. We are going to do what God has asked us to do down to the very letter of His request, and amazing or many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Wonders and signs. Wonders. Some of us are what, what theologians called cessationists. That we believe that the wonders and the signs of the New Testament stopped in the New Testament. That they still don't occur today. And I would like to tell you that the reason we don't see God working in amazing ways is because we don't believe we serve an amazing God and so we don't do amazing things for Him. A good church is one that will do things that seem absolutely ridiculous because they're, they're led that direction by the Holy Spirit. A good church is one that doesn't, that doesn't shrink back whenever the odds are against it. A good church is a church that amazes people by its service in the community. It amazes people um, um, by, by its heart for, for the lost. It amazes people that it goes beyond and above and the second mile when everyone else is just settling for second best and mediocrity and just getting by with, with doing the same old, same old. An amazing church is one that will do things the way it's never done them before simply because the Holy Spirit is directing them to do it. That's an amazing church nowadays, don't you think? So, find a church that you can be somewhat inspired by. I'm inspired by this church. One of the things that really attracted us to this church is that even before we added the Guatemala mission trip, this church is about missions. 
This church is going to the Navajos a couple times a year. This church is going to McKee a couple times a year. This church is doing Project Acts. This church has got a food pantry. This church does church for the city. This church does a follow him. This church is a mission-minded church. And now we're going to the uttermost parts of the world with Guatemala. And you need to be involved in those things. You need to be going to the Navajos. I've tried to, to, to develop our budget next year to where I can make that affordable for you if you want to go. You need to be going to Kentucky and sharing the gospel with the people in the Appalachian Mountains in East Kentucky. You need to be doing those things. You need to be involved in Project Acts. If you don't do anything else in missions next year, you need to be involved in serving with the love of God in your own community. You need to be a part of Project Acts. So, a good church is a church that amazes people with its love for God and for others. And then listen to this. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. A good church is a church that is united in purpose. And I worded that very carefully because guys, we cannot be united in every theological debate and every doctrinal little little quibble we we can't be united in the way we feel like our our money should be spent how our ministry should be developed and 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 there's a lot of things within the church that we're going to disagree on but we have to keep in mind above all of that that our single purpose as a church is to glorify God to serve him to bless others all for God's glory we do everything we do for God's glory. That's why we exist. It's for God's glory. It's to, it's to magnify God. It's to make God look exactly how He is. That's what, that's what it means to magnify Him. When you use a magnifying glass to, to look at a germ or look at cells or whatever, you're not making something bigger than it is. You're making something that's already there visible for what it is. And that's what we should be doing when we glorify God. We should be magnifying Him in such a way that people who can't see Him, see Him in us exactly how He is. And so when we do disagree on theology, or we do disagree on budgeting, or we do disagree on ministry, we can always come back to glorifying God and we can be united in that purpose while we work all this other stuff out in love because there's going to be disagreements there's going to be conflicts in any church but you need to be looking out for a church that is that is single-minded on one thing and that is glorifying God and they don't let all this other little stuff get out of out of proportion and overshadow glorifying God that's one of the things I really appreciate about this church is we've got a lot of people with a lot of opinions, but I believe this church is Christ-centered and it wants to glorify God. I really believe that the people in this church, the true believers who make up the fellowship of this church, when push comes to shove, want to glorify God. The next thing we see is they sold, in verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. A good church is a church that is generous to all. 
A good church is a church that is willing to let its benevolence fund go to zero. A good church is a church that's willing to borrow from the savings account to make sure that its people don't starve and they don't freeze in the wintertime and they don't burn up in the summertime and that they have a roof over their head and that they have adequate clothing. A good church is a church that has people who are willing to count their possessions as nothing for the sake of serving God and glorifying Him by being generous to people. A good church is full of people who own possessions, but those possessions don't own them. A good church is a church that is generous to all as they have need. A good church is a church who knows the needs of its people, who have staff who are involved in the lives of their people, who have deacons and elders and, and, and other leaders in the church who are involved in the lives of people, and that somebody doesn't go to the hospital and get surgery without us knowing about it, unless they just really didn't want us to know about it. That, that somebody doesn't lose a loved one, and we don't know about it, unless they just really didn't want us to know about it. Secrets of that kind should be hard to keep from a good church. Because we should be generous with our lives, with our time, and with our money, and with our possessions. <coughs> Excuse me, a good church is generous to all. <clears throat> and listen to this. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. Every day. I can honestly say that there's not a day that goes by that I am not with somebody in our church. For prayer, for discussion, for coffee, for whatever. I, I, I haven't been to your schools in a while, but that counts too whenever I do come. But, but I'm not saying we have to meet here corporately, but what this first church was doing is they were involved in each other's lives. A good church is full of dependable people. They're there when you need them. They, if you need them every day, they're there for you every day. You don't fall through the cracks. You don't show up and nobody notice. You don't miss and nobody notice. I notice when you're not here. I miss you when you're not here. There's a bunch of you who aren't here tonight. And I could name probably a dozen of them right now, which I won't. But, but I miss them. Not because I wanted to be fuller in here in a bigger crowd. But because I want to live this life with my friends. And the people that God has called me to serve. You should miss each other. You should be dependable enough in each other's lives that whenever one of you goes and, and, and seems to be falling through the cracks, someone comes and gets you. And you go and get somebody. That meeting together, that we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. That we don't think that this is not for, for anything, but we come here and we make it count. And we're serious with people. We, we, we love people. We encourage people. We pray for people on a regular basis. We're there for one another. We're dependable on a daily basis. We're checking with each other on Facebook. We're texting each other, just making sure everything is going okay. And we're dependable enough that when things aren't going okay, we trust each other 
to share our hurts, to share our worries, to share our sicknesses, to share our heartbreaks. And we pray for one another and we're dependable. We're, we're there for each other day in and day out. And that is one of the signs of a good church. Number 10, they ate their food with, joy, with a joyful and humble attitude. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude. Guys, beware of walking into a church to where you automatically feel weighed down upon going in there. If nobody in your church is smiling, 